tonight turn to your neighbor and give him a big smile come on turn to your other neighbor and say boo come on it's fun to have a good time in the house of God and I love church I love God and I, I believe in having fun in the house of God but the house of God is no joke and that's one thing that we definitely really stress here for the next couple of Wednesdays I'm going to teach a series really talking about the most important gift and um, we know that this time of the year, it's all about giving gifts and, and all, excuse me, and all about that kind of thing. So I'm going to be talking about the most important gift. And I love Wednesday nights for this reason. It gives us the opportunity to perhaps dig just a little bit deeper into God's word because there's so much truth in God's word. I'm glad that you're here tonight because you know what it tells me? You want to know more about God. And there is so much truth in God's word, truth that will transform your life. I'm transformed by the truth of God's word. Come on, it's his word that has changed me to be what I am today. Hebrews 4 and verse 12 describes God's word as this. I love it. For the word of God is living and powerful. That word powerful in the Greek is energies, which is from which we get the English word energetic. So the Word of God is living and energetic. Energetic denotes something at work, active and effective. Come on, the Word of God is at work. It's active and effective over your life. It's the complete opposite to the Greek word called argos, which means to be idle or ineffective or inactive. So the Word of God is living The word of God is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. And it is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The first part, obviously, is pretty obvious in that verse. It is living and powerful. Thank God for that. But then the second part is not so perhaps obvious, but let me explain it to you. It means this with the incisiveness of a surgeon's knife, like a scalpel, okay? God's word wants to peel back every avenue and every part of our lives to reveal who we are and who we're not. How many of you have ever read the word of God and realized that you're falling short in some areas? Come on, that the word of God has really revealed to you that you need to get some things straight in your life. Come on, how many times have you read the word of God and all of a sudden you feel a pat on the back because it's an encouraging word to you because you're doing what the word of God says. It shows you who you are. Come on, it's good for who you are, but it's also good at showing us what we need to be. And what's lacking in our lives. 
So what does it do as a scalpel, as it cuts back, as it reveals, what does it then want to do? It wants to penetrate the very core of our moral and spiritual life. And it discerns, therefore, what is really within us, whether it's good or bad. And what else does the Word of God do? The Word of God demands something from us. Did you know that? It demands from us. Some of people may say, well, that's a little bit strong, demands. God's word demands things from us. It's a commandment to us. It requires decisions that you and I have to make. God's word demands that there's decisions that you and I have to make. But thank God for those decisions. They're life-changing. And they're going to change me from the inside out. So to only listen to God's word is just half of the equation. But we must also let it shape our lives. In other words, God's word, when heard, applied, and lived, will change your very life. The Bible says, faith cometh by and hearing by the word of God. So aren't you glad that we have the word of God, that we can come and we can study the word of God? And like Trey said, that's why it's so important to be under the teaching of the word of God. Come on, I don't want to be under fluff and I don't want to be under people's opinions. Come on, there is no scriptural evidence that if you give a thousand dollars, that offering is greater received than any other gift. Come on, the Bible says Jesus saw the two mites and said that lady's given more than anything else. Come on, it's the heart, a heart of surrender and obedience and a willingness to give to God. So we need to be under the teaching of God's words. And here at this church, you are taught the Word of God. I'm telling you, I don't have people stand behind this pulpit that are not going to teach you the Word of God because opinions and what all that fluff and stuff, all it will do is frustrate and deceive your life. So tonight I want to start a series, again, dealing with you, talking about us, the most important gift. As I said in the season of giving, it's important for us to never forget the most important gift. And I believe the most important gift is who we are. I believe the most important gift is what we are giving unto God. Now you may say, Pastor Philip, hold on a second. The most important gift is Jesus, the Savior of the world. He was the most important gift, but he is a gift that has already been given. Come on, listen to me. That is a gift that has already been given for mankind. Now it's our turn to give back. Now it's our turn to respond to the gift that has been given, that we can walk in that newness of life, that we can live in that newness of life. It's time for the gift to give back. It's time for us who have been gifted with the word of God, with salvation, to give back to God. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 says these words. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. That's quite a posh kind of detailed way just to put, here's what you need to do, okay? Here's what you need to do, okay? So here's what you and I need to do. By the mercies of God, with God's help that means, that you and I are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, which means set apart, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Let me read that one more time. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, here's what you need to do. 
By the mercies of God, with God's help, thank God He doesn't leave us alone. He's there to help us and walk us through life. But with God's help, by His direction, we need to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. Literally, what is the least that you and I can do? The word present there is the same spelling of the word present. Present. Or a gift, as we now call it. So the Word of God tells us that we are to gift our lives, to give our lives, to present our lives, to present our lives and give them to God. So here's the questions that we must consider in giving our gift, being the greatest gift. We are the greatest gift that God desires. He wants our lives. God wants all of us. He wants every part of us. If you were to ask God right now, what do you want? God says you. I mean, that's how incredible of a gift that you are. God says, I just want you. I just want your commitment. I want your faithfulness. I want your willingness. I just want your heart. I want you to trust me. I want you. So we are to gift our our lives to God. So here's the questions we must ask ourselves. And that is this, the first question, what gift am I giving to God? It's an awful thing, isn't it, when you give someone a gift and you see their face go from happiness to absolute misery. Now hopefully you haven't been a bad giver, but come on, we've blown it sometimes. Especially with little kids. You know, when you're old, you at least try and lie and fake a smile like you really love it. Some of you have probably worn some disgusting sweaters that someone bought because you didn't want to offend them, but you hated the thing. But you just put it on for the team. Come on, you took one for the team. But you know, kids are a little bit more honest and they'll kind of look at it and go, What's this? Come on, and you can laugh because you all did it one day. You know when you got a gift one day and you go, Man, it's blue. I want it red. What's the deal? But in the same regards, what gift are we giving to God when God looks at our lives, when God looks down from heaven, when God came down tonight, when he was enthroned in our praise, when he looked around at Roxanne and he looked at Daryl and he looked at Miss Deborah and he looked at Melissa, he looked at each one of us, what gift did he see? What gift did he see that we brought to him? Second question is this, am I giving him that which is pleasing to him? Am I really giving Him a pleasing gift? We can give God things, but are they really what He wants? We can tip God, but does God want a tip? Or does He want our obedience? We can give God a gift, but is it really pleasing to Him? I've had a lot of gifts in my life that have been gifts, but haven't been too pleasing. But thanks anyway. But you know what happens when you get a gift that's not pleasing? You move on to the next. I don't want God to move beyond me. And I don't mean that in a selfish way because God doesn't want to move beyond you too. But I don't want God to look and say, hey, I thought Philip was the man for the job, but I guess I'm going to have to find someone else. We know the callings and giftings of God are without repentance. But you know what? If you're not going to answer the call, God's going to call someone else. It doesn't mean he can't still use you, but God's not going to wait on man. He's going to find someone else. Catherine Kuhlman. Some of you maybe remember Catherine Kuhlman, an incredible lady who was a female minister when there were hardly such a thing. 
And Catherine Kuhlman said these words many times. She said, I wasn't God's first choice. I wasn't God's second, third, fourth, or fifth choice. God chose me because some other person would not go. And think about that. God used Catherine Kuhlman in a phenomenal way. The miracles that she saw in her services, the presence of God that came down. But Catherine Kuhlman is no different to you, Trey, Mary, Dan, Jim. All she did was presented her life as a pleasing gift to God, saying, God, here I am, available, use me. I don't have all the talents, I don't have all the giftings. You know what? God's glad you don't have all the talents and all the giftings. Why? Because God wants to use your availability, not your ability. Because so many times we look at our abilities, but God says, God says, give me your availability, not your abilities. I can use you. And then the third question I wrote down tonight is that, and is this, am I giving all of me? Am I giving all of me? What am I holding back? What am I afraid to give? I talked to you of a buddy of mine who I talked to a couple of weeks ago. And he said to me, Philip, all this religious stuff. He says, I, I, just don't, I just don't think I'm ready for it yet. And I knew where he was coming from because he had talked to another pastor in town and the pastor had answered every problem and every question he had and just gave him the word and gave him the word and gave him the word, which is incredible. And that's what we need. The word is what we've just talked about. It's the discerner. It's the revealer. It's the helper. It's the strength. It's that which we need in our lives. But what happened was it was presented in such a way that it was almost like I'm up here and you're down there. And this guy looks and says, I can never get up there. And I don't believe like they do. I guess until I can believe like they do, I guess I'm going to have to find another way to solve my problems. And I began to tell that guy, listen to me. It's not that that person's any better than you. I said, I'm no better than you and I'm a pastor. It doesn't make me any better than you. I said, the only difference between me and you is this. I'm a sinner that's saved by grace. I realize what it is to trust God with my life. I realize what it is to say, God, I need your help and strength. That's the only difference. And he says, but Philip, he said, I can't give like you. I, I, I can't just make that step and do that. And I said to him, why not just give and just release like a tug of war or holding onto a rope? I said, why not just let one finger go at a time? And he said, you mean I can do that? And I said, you can. I said, God will take anything that you will give to him as we begin to trust our lives. So in giving the right gift to God, in being that right gift to God, or in giving all to God, or can I say it this way, in giving more to God? Because I know that so many struggle to surrender all. And to be honest with you, if we've got to be honest, I don't think any of us in here has even come close to giving all to God. Come on, I said I don't think any of us have come even close to giving all to God. That's our desire and that's our goal. And some of us can pat ourselves on the back and perhaps feel that we're so super spiritual. And, and you may disagree with me there, and that's fine. But can I remind you that we're all human? And what does that mean when we're all human? When we get a bad report, the first thought is, oh, no, what am I going to do? Come on, someone who's given their all to God doesn't have those kind of thoughts. Come on, someone who's trusting God with everything doesn't doubt in any way. But come on, we're all human. We have those times of weakness. So yes, we want to give to God, but let's look at ways that we can give more to God, that God can get more of our lives and take more and more and more, that there's less of us coming to that place that we can give Him 
everything. So in giving more and more of ourselves to God, we will begin to realize that there are areas of our life that need to be cleaned up. Have you noticed that in your life? That when you step out for God and and, and you say you want to do something, all of a sudden things become a little bit more obvious in your life that you need to deal with. And Satan will come in and start playing and messing with you with things. And you step out and all of a sudden people that you haven't met or talked to for like five years start showing up from your past. And all this starts happening and things start getting messed. When you start saying, God, I'm going to give you your all, you've got to realize there's some things that you're going to have to lay down. There's some things that you're going to have to clean up. Allow God to change you and parts of your life that will maybe taint the rest. What do they say? A bad apple will spoil the whole bunch. We can push it to the bottom and say no one's going to see it, but it's not long before the decay is going to start working its way up to the top. There's perhaps pollution points in our lives. We don't like to talk about them, but we know what they are. Just little things that we can push back, but they are areas and places that are having control where God wants control. Just like a cup. If I was to take a cup tonight and I was going to have some rocks in that cup, no matter how much liquid I wanted to put in there, I could never fully fill that cup with liquid as long as there were rocks in there. You may say, yes, you could. You could fill it right to the top and it would overflow. That cup would never be fully full. Why? Because some of the volume was not taken up by the liquid. It was the mass. It was the rocks. It was the hindering points of our lives. I wonder in our lives right now as we stand and we say, God, I'm giving you my life. The greatest gift that I can give you is me. God, And I want to give it to you and I want to give more to you. I wonder right now if your life is a cup. I wonder what areas there are that are withholding the filling or the indwelling or the power or the total control of God in your life. Can I tell you and remind you once again, before I preach a message to you, God first preaches it to me. I'm standing up here tonight, never standing up here admitting, oh, I've made it and I'm there. Paul even said this, not that we've made it, but one thing we're doing, we're forgetting those things which are behind and we're pushing on. Every day we're striving to be more Christ-like and to do things and lining our lives up to God, but coming in our lives as a container. I wonder what things there are present that perhaps we need to allow God to help us deal with in our lives. Maybe an anger problem. Maybe jealousy. Maybe fear. Maybe unfaithfulness. So many areas and so many things that can stop up our lives and hinder us and rob us from having the best that God has. And we all have those things. But aren't you glad tonight that God has not finished with us yet? That God's word says he will be faithful to complete that which he had started in you. Philippians 1 verse 6, being confident of this very thing. He that began a good work, he will be faithful to complete it. Again, the question is not his faithfulness. The question is our willingness. Our faithfulness to him. Most people have no idea how far they can go in life. Why? Because they shoot so low. We've got to aim so high. They hold back areas from God. 
They make excuses for their lives. They never begin to fully trust God in his word. I was talking to someone earlier today and I said this, you will never overcome your fear of swimming by standing at the side of the pool. Can I take you one step further? You will never overcome your fear of water and swimming while you're holding on to the side. You're in the water, but you're still holding on to the side. The only way you're going to overcome that fear is what? To launch out and to meet that fear head on and begin to trust in God that he's going to bring you through. It's the same in your life. You may say, well, God, there's all these problems and all these things. You know what? Push the problems aside and say, God, I'm going to give you those problems. I'm going to give you the struggles and the hardships because pastor's saying that I am the greatest gift that I can give to God. And I'm the gift that he wants. Literally never give God, people literally never give God a chance with their lives. You know, I've seen this so many times being a pastor and, and growing up as a PK, a pastor's kid. I've seen this with so many times that people come and they give their lives to Christ, but they never give God a chance. What do you mean by that? They come and they give their life to Christ and then they're maybe in church for two weeks and then they're gone. And then they come back to you and say, well, you know what? I gave my life to Christ and it doesn't work. Well, what do you mean it doesn't work? Well, I never saw breakthroughs. I never saw miracles. I didn't see immediate results. It didn't happen like I thought it was going to happen. Isn't it amazing how many people get turned off because they don't see immediate results? God's word does not tell us that every touch and every gift and every blessing and everything that we're going to receive is going to be immediate. But can I tell you this? God's word does say that every blessing and every gift and everything that God promises is assured. Didn't say immediate, but it is assured. And if you want scriptural to back that up, that's Galatians 6 verse 9. The Bible says, and let us not grow weary while doing good for in due season. If we don't lose heart, what happens? We're going to reap if we don't lose heart. God's word assures us of those things, but many times we don't give God a chance. Maybe tonight you've never really given God a chance. You've given him your life, but you've just given him a little bit. And yes, he's worked in that area, but then you accuse him of not taking over. That you didn't do this and you didn't do that. Maybe you never really trusted God and gave him an opportunity. I think it's time that we launch out. Come on, I think it's just time that we step out of our comfort zone a little bit. Allow ourselves to be stretched. Allow ourselves to be a greater gift. Perhaps this Christmas you're offering up the same gift you did last Christmas. Come on. If we haven't changed this year, something's wrong in our spiritual walk. Come on, if you haven't grown that this year, something's wrong in your spiritual walk. If you're offering the same gift to God that you've always given Him, come on, something's wrong. There's got to be more. There's got to be more. We've got to be a gift that is giving back to the giver. And as I began to think about God's word, and as I said at the beginning, just the truth of God's word, I began to write down the thoughts of how God's word instructs us and how God's word really from beginning to end is a complete roadmap or a manual of how we can live and how we can do life. God's word instructs us how to live. And I heard Jensen Franklin say this, if we want biblical results, we've got to do biblical things. If we want what we read of the word of God, we've got to do it by the word of God. And we've got to trust God. 
But in all the instruction and all the guidance that we see from God's Word, there's one passage that jumps out at me. And it's amazing because there were some thoughts that came through my mind this week as I'd read some stuff on Facebook and some just different things. And and I was kind of really disappointed a couple of days ago about something that I'd read. And and it really frustrated me as a pastor because someone had said something anti-church. And as a result of that anti-church comment, someone else, I don't know who it was, and someone else that I didn't know, but there was someone I did know that who I used to work with me in my youth ministry that is out of church and is away from God, but someone that I'm believing is going to come back. And this person was talking about how bad church was, and this person replied just one word, word, word. And if you don't want to know what that means, word, that means fully agreeing with what you just said. And it cut me to the heart because I thought, here's someone who's cynical and skeptical about church. And here they see or read something about someone who should know better. But what has that person done? They've driven them further and further away. So I'm thinking about all these things that's going through my mind and the passage of Scripture came to my mind and I'm like, you know, God, I'm going to teach on that. I just really feel. And then I began to say, hold on a second. I don't want the flesh to be coming out in me. I want you to lead me, God, and I want to know if it's you. So I'm thinking all these things because what went through my mind was, and we'll get to that passage, but there's a passage that we're going to talk about tonight. But one of the things it says is, God hates those who sow discord amongst the brethren, amongst the church. God loves his church. Can I say that one more time? God loves his church. God loves the church the people of his church. The church is the means by which God has chosen to evangelize the world. God loves church. And when he sees people come in and try to disrupt and to destroy church, we're touching the very heart of God. And I'm thinking all this and trying to push it aside, saying, man, it's just the flesh because I'm responding as a pastor because things like that really get to me and frustrate me because I'm trying to build the church and then you've got people undermining everything you do. And it gets frustrating. And the next morning, yesterday morning, I opened my Bible at my daily read. And I like to read through the Bible. And I read three chapters every day. And then I read a psalm and a proverb. So five chapters I like to read in the morning. And I came to Proverbs chapter 6. And I read the passage that I was thinking about the day before. And I really felt an amen in my spirit. And God says, that's what I want you to teach. And that's what I want to show them. So if you would, turn with me to... Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6, and we're going to be looking from verse 16 through 19. God's word is an instruction to us on how to live. But in this passage that we're going to read tonight, and we're going to study for the next couple of weeks, probably the next two weeks, so it's going to be like a three-week series. We see in this passage that God literally lists. God makes a list. I said, God makes a list. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He wants to find out who's naughty and nice. Come on, this is a lot more important list than Santa's list. As we will read, this is a list that God says of things that he hates. Things that he hates. Turn with me to Proverbs 6, begin in verse 16 and read with me. And it says, these six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. I want to read that passage just one more time before we go on because I want to bring out two thoughts from just these first few words. 
These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination for him. Do you notice here the tone of God's voice? Do you notice the tone of which God is speaking to every one of us? In this passage, we read two words, hate and abomination. Pretty strong words. Can you remember being told these words by your parents probably after you said, I hate something? What would your parents say to you? Hate is a very strong word. Come on, anyone ever told that? Hate is a very strong word. You know what we've got the tendency to do? We've got the tendency to apologize for God and say, just tone it down a little bit, God. You know, come on, this is the 21st century. I mean, come on, just just go easy a little bit. We try to be politically correct. But the reality is God says, I hate those things. And really the word hate is not even close to being strong enough for what God feels when the list of things that we're going to talk about, that people have those in their life, but yet they try to present their lives to him. God says, not only do I hate those things, but God says they are an abomination to me. Literally, God says, they dis- I absolutely, totally despise these things. Now, if God, is a thought for you. If God feels that strongly about these things, seven things that we're going to read, don't you think it's vitally important for us to make sure that they're not part of the gift that we're given to God? Don't you think it's important for us? Some people turn around and say, well, you know what? The word of God is not really clear. This is pretty clear because God just lists it down right there. So if you don't get any other clarity from God's word, you're going to find it in these few verses. Okay? God says, I hate these are an abomination and he lists them down. So there's, so obviously if God's taken time to put it in his word, we need to take time to make sure they're not in our lives. We've got to make sure that it's not in that which we're presenting to God because we can come here with our hands lifted up and praise God and everything and God's looking down and says, hey, I hate that, I hate that, and I hate that. You can be as holy as you want, but we're going to see there's going to be some hindrances right here because God cannot look, God cannot bless, God cannot condone, God cannot put His hand upon sin in our lives. And I'm feeling the preach coming on tonight. Secondly, what we see from here is God's not kind of schizophrenic and doesn't know what he's talking about when he says six and he goes, oh, hold on a second, there's seven. And neither is he saying there's only seven and outside of that, everything else is perfect. Do whatever you want outside of these and everything is good. This is metaphorically showing us that when it says six and seven, it's showing us that the list that God has of things that are not pleasing to him are not just limited to these things. These do not exhaust The complete list. But can I tell you, it's a good starting place. Let me say that again. It's a good starting place because if God is going to specifically list these things, we better at least make sure that we're taking care of those. Come on, let's read on. Verse 17, it says these. So these are the things that God hates. These are the things that are an abomination for him. He says a proud look, a lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood, 
cell phones that go off in church. That's small print. That's the eighth one right there. (laughs) Busted. Verse 18. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that are swift in running to evil. Verse 19. A false witness who speaks lies. And one who sows discord amongst the brethren. Let me read from another translation tonight, if I could, these verses. And I love how the first part, or the verse 16, really shows this in a good light in this translation. It says, here are six things which God hates, and one more that He loathes with a passion. You know the one more that He loathes with a passion is the one of those who sows discord in His church to disrupt families? Come on, think about that. That gives me chills when I read stuff like that. Because I've always felt when I've read that, even from the New King James, that there was something just so important about that last one more than the other. And as I read this translation, I thought, wow, that is so powerful right there. There are six things that God hates and one more that He loathes with a passion. Eyes that are ignorant, or arrogant rather, sorry. Eyes that are arrogant. A tongue that lies. Hands that murder the innocent. A heart that hatches evil plots. Feet that race down a wicked track and a mouth that lies under oath, a troublemaker in the family. Here we read a list that is very specific, a list that over the next couple of weeks we're going to dissect and we're going to look into in greater depth because we need to realize if God hates these things, we better make sure that they're not packaged up in the gift that we are presenting to God. Let me say that one more time. If God hates and detests, these things are an abomination to Him. We'd better make sure that when it comes time to present our lives as a living sacrifice, that we don't have these things present in our lives. Tonight we've laid the foundation. Next week we're going to talk and dissect and go through that. But I want you to do something. I want you to think about those things. Write down perhaps some notes because I want to hear from you because I'm going to ask you questions next week such as when we talk about a proud look and we talk about that because that's the first one. I'm going to ask you first and foremost, what is a proud look? And then we're going to think, why is it that you think God is so opposed to that? Why is it that God hates that? How many people have been destroyed from a proud look? from arrogance, feeling better than ourselves, elevating ourselves, positioning ourselves. I'm telling you, that's all misconceptions we live by because God's Word shows us completely different things to that. God's Word says pride goes before a fall. It doesn't go before elevation. Come on. Proverbs 29, 23 says, A man's pride will bring him low. We're going to look at that from 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse the latter part of verse 5, it says God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. So we're going to begin to look at a proud look, a lying tongue, 
hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift to run into evil, a false witness who speaks lies and one who sows discord, these things that God hates. Let's never forget that you and I are the greatest gift that God wants. That if God had a choice out of anything that he has, he would choose you every day of the week. That's how incredible you are to him. That is an incredible thought. And to be honest with you, it's a thought that we're almost going to carry you on Sunday because I'm going to begin a message on Sunday talking about falling in love with God. That's going to be our Christmas message this year up to Christmas. It's talking about falling in love with God. I'm reading a book right now called Crazy Love. It's a great book. Talking about falling in love with God. Falling in love with God. We say we love God, but do we really? Come on, we say that we love God, but do we really? A season that's all about love, that God so loved the world that he gave. A season that is totally about love is perhaps a season that we need to once again discover true love and find Christ like we've never found him before. Come on, every time I preach from this pulpit, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to be better. I want to challenge you to dig deeper. I want to challenge you to surrender more. I want to challenge you to just give a little bit more. I want to challenge you to step out from the crowd and stand up and say, here I am, God. I want to be your greatest gift. I want to be a smile in your face and not a tear in your eye. We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's Word into effect. At Heartsease Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.